group of religious leaders is calling for action to fight climate change. I'm Steve Pomplin for Earthwatch Radio. Last February, 86 evangelical Christian leaders signed a statement urging governments, businesses, churches, and individuals to take action to curb global warming. The Evangelical Climate Initiative represents an unusual stance for the religious movement, which sees the Bible as the ultimate moral authority. The initiative accepts the science of climate change as real and irrefutable, and it moves the Christian group into an area it has avoided in the past, the environment. Dwayne Lifton is president of Wheaton College, a Christian school in Illinois. Lifton says the group decided, after a lengthy internal debate, that climate change is a moral issue. This is coming on to the scope of the evangelical world is saying, this isn't someone else's issue, this is our issue. Can we please step up? Leith Anderson also signed the Climate Change Initiative. He's the pastor of the Wooddale Church in Minneapolis and former head of the National Association of Evangelicals, an organization representing 45,000 churches in the United States. Anderson cites a responsibility to protect God's creation as a reason to fight climate change. Those 86 of us that have signed this statement and others as well are saying that we believe we are doing what is right and we're not afraid. We have great trust in God, but great responsibility as well. For two reasons. We're convinced that God created the world and entrusted it to us, and we're concerned about the impact of global warming upon those who are the poorest of the poor and the marginalized of society. The evangelical movement has an estimated 40 million followers in the United States. A recent poll found 70% of them concerned about global warming. Earthwatch Radio is a service of the Nelson Institute and the Sea Grant Program at the University of Wisconsin. Are you ready for the end of the world? <laughs> you are listening to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. I guess I need to wake up, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, you got to bring back the circle again? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, ha- is things in a circle? Well, it's kind of cooled off, so maybe we're actually... Someone said, man, it's so cold out. I'm like, wait a second. That's the regular temperature. Yeah, I had the same response last night. I was like, you know, I went outside and I was like, oh, I didn't realize it'd be cold out. And then I'm like, oh, this is normal weather. <laughs> it's just like, okay, let's bring back the circle. The circle of family, the circle of being... <laughs> Circle of friends, too. Oh, yeah. The circle of friends. Wake <laughs> up! Now I should do better with my stretch. Wake <laughs> Maybe not. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. You are listening to Orda Energy Mon. And this is Tree Song. Man, you're like... <laughs> I'm waking up. <laughs> um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to your community spirit... You can listen to it again at yourcommunityspirit.org, and you can get our newsletter. Yeah. What should we talk about? (laughs) Well, we talked about how cold it is. (laughs) Wait a second. How regular weather it is. Occupyupdatesdaily.blogspot.com. The mayor of Louisville has ordered occupiers to vacate the park they have been occupying by April 13th. The newly set date comes after occupiers filed for a permit to remain, which the mayor denied. 
The mayor's spokesperson said the encampment has basically become a, quote, homeless camp. There is pending litigation in this case, and their lawyer says it is up to the occupiers to decide if they want to press on in the matter. (laughs) Yeah. That's ironic. You know, they, it's funny how they frame it differently. Like, if you're here complaining about the housing crisis, that's okay. If you're a, you know, victim, survivor of the housing crisis, <laughs> then you can't have a camp here. <laughs> it's like you can't win either way. <laughs> well, probably not. <laughs> probably not. So. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Roughly 400 students at UC Davis rallied on Thursday afternoon to protest the upcoming court date of what they are calling the Banker's Dozen. The 12 students in question are facing multiple charges stemming from the shuttering and eventual closure of a U.S. bank on campus. Students feel as though the school has stepped aside to let the state handle the protesters because of bad PR and to allow the continued blockade on free speech. The 12 are each charged with conspiracy and access allegations. The conspiracy charge itself has a maximum jail sentence of a year and each of the access allegations six months. Several members of Occupy Portland hit the streets on Thursday to hand out flyers concerning an upcoming rally in Hanford. The occupiers, three men and eight women, went topless with radiation symbols on their bodies. The rally will be at the Hanford Nuclear Reservation on April 15th and will address growing concerns surrounding the need for cleanup, transparency, and increased funding. Increased funding? (laughs) Why would we fund nuclear power more? Huh. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess we've already built it, so we might as well keep funding it. I mean, yeah, I have to look into that. I wonder if that's like funding for safety or some sure such. Are you sure you're not going to look into <laughs> the topless part? <laughs> no, I'm okay. not sure. <laughs> it's like, okay. If it's there, I'll see it. <laughs> All right, in other news, uh, the Chicago man accused of attempting to shoot four police officers before being shot 28 times has been sentenced to 40 years in prison. Well, uh, good thing he survived so he could go spend 40 years in prison. Yeah. Now, I wonder if this is... Th- yeah, I'm wondering what this this full story is about, but yeah. Um, <laughs> if you would like to read the full story, um, you must get our newsletter or go to suntimes.com and search for the man shot 28 times by Chicago cops. An article by Naomi Wolf offers insight into the American criminal justice system and how our rights and freedoms are slowly dwindling. It pays particular attention to how sexual humiliation is being used to control the population, including the recent rulings by the U.S. Supreme Court, which allows strip certs after any arrest, no matter how minor the offense. Yeah, did you hear about that? Well, obviously not, <laughs> I, you know, because I was strip No, I wasn't. It's was like... Yeah. <laughs> what? I mean. Like well, yeah. Any any offense where you end up in a in a in a in a jail, you know, in it being arraigned, they they can just strip search you now. Uh, and it's they. I, I actually saw an interview with the guy who was arguing against this decision, but the Supreme Court decided against his argument. But I, I mean, basically, the case they decided on was where someone uh, had done some traffic violation, but then he had so there had been a warrant for his arrest. But then he had a uh, sheet saying, you know, that the traffic violation was bogus. He didn't actually have to be arrested. But he got pulled over while he was a passenger. And they took him into jail and they strip searched him. For no reason, there was nothing, no, he'd been, you know, doing nothing wrong. They just had found this, this situation. And he was, he was going somewhere with his family. 
And uh, the Supreme Court decided that that was okay because the, the jails can basically decide to strip search anyone they want for any reason just because wow. the police says, yeah. Not a good sign, in my opinion. It was five justices in favor and four against. I wonder if... Yeah, I wonder if people who were like got excited by strip search <laughs> that were for it, you know. Yeah, well, someone pointed, someone pointed out with judges that, uh, you know, John Stewart asked, well, what's the difference between airport security and jail security? Because, you know, they, they're, they're very concerned, the judges are very concerned that people won't be randomly searched at uh, airports. They see that as a violation of freedom. But they're not concerned about people being arrested, being strip searched. Well, and they're not. I mean, if you're not arrested, <laughs> what happens if you are just like picked up on the street for a violation? For a violation of like, and get strip searched, even yeah. though you know, I mean, basically, you know, because I mean, the police have the right now to just grab someone and throw them in jail. I mean, yeah, until they, until they've been arraigned. Yeah, they're the reducing the re- restrictions on detaining someone, and then when they detain them, they can you know strip search it. And someone pointed out that the reason why they might decide differently on an, on this case instead of on the airport case is because the judges actually have to go through the airport uh, security. <laughs> so they don't want to be strip searched there. Okay. <laughs> but they don't care what happens if people pull over at a traffic stop. <laughs> uh, so, all right. In other news. Other news. Brian is such a wet blanket. A Debbie Downer. Since I was a kid, I've been promised that someday we would have flying cars. And now that it is fully here, he has the nerve to call it, quote, another expensive, research-consuming, big-ticket item designed to titillate our consumerist impulses. How can he spit? (laughs) How can he spit on every childhood dream? That's right. The world's first street-legal flying car is on sale now for the low, low price of only 300K. 300k stands, sounds a lot less than 300,000, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's only 300. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So. I saw, actually, that's a news story I didn't see, but I saw one a couple days ago saying that they were about to start selling it. Uh, and yeah. it's actually available, well, um, there, it's available, um, 10 people have actually already put a, a down payment of $10,000. And so they expect by the end of this year to um, you know, have them for sale. So. Obviously, they're for sale, but the product's not there yet. Yeah. So. Yeah, they did that a while with, like, the, uh, the Tesla uh, Roadster before it first came out. You could buy it, but then you wouldn't actually get it until they finished production. Yeah. I, I, wish, I wish my mom were still around for that. She always used to say, well, where are the flying cars, you know, that <laughs> they talked about in our childhood? <laughs> well, here they are, flying cars. Yeah. <laughs> $300,000 doesn't... It looks like a plane, though, that yeah. literally the wings fold up. Yeah, That's I mean, it's basically a light aircraft, you know. Yeah. But it's a light aircraft that is small enough that you can also drive it as a car. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure it, it flies really badly as a plane and drives really badly as a car. Yeah, but technically you can do both, so you get away with it. <laughs> Just like... So, yes, it's... I mean, it literally looks like a small plane that the f- wings just fold up. So. Yeah. It, I heard, was spring. I heard about that. So let's talk a little bit about food. Have you heard about this? Hmm. Oh, I have, yes. The, uh, uh, where did it go? There it is. (laughs) Yeah, the FDA to GMO labeling campaign. What million signatures? It hasn't been a good week for the Food and Drug Administration, if you care about public health. What? I I don't care about that. Uh, Yeah, public health, what that's all about. 
if, however, you think corporate interests and politics should trump science, well, then it's been a red lighter day after another. Wait, uh, one moment. Let's have a moment of silence. Science. <laughs> I can't even say it. Let's have a moment of science. Yes. <laughs> okay, go for it. <laughs> okay. Well, first, the FDA announced its refusal to ban the common endocrine-disrupting chemical bisphenol A, BPA. Way to, way to try to say the chemical, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then on an unrelated note, uh, they, the New York Times published a lengthy analysis of the repeated interference by the Obama White House in the FDA's decision-making process. Uh, but it gets worse, or better if you're Monsanto. The deadline for the FDA to respond to the Just Label It petition for genetically modified food labeling arrived last week. And as required by law, the agency responded, sort of. It supplied a letter to the group behind the petition that said, essentially, don't call us, we'll call you. Well, at least the FDA says they're going to call them. <laughs> That's pretty nice. It's like after a date, you know, it's like, here is a million signatures. We'll call you later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Just Label campaign uh, had reason to be a bit optimistic. They thought they were going to get their surveys looked at, and they collected signatures from one million Americans. Uh, undeniable sign that there is public support for uh, labels here. Uh, but the FDA is refusing to see it that way. In a footnote to its mild response, the FDA observed that a mere 394 comments were submitted by Just Label It, rather than the million that the organization claimed. Now, that's no small disagreement. You know, if they're like five petitions different or something in the number count, that's no big deal. But a million versus 394, uh, the difference boils down to the way FDA handles submissions. The main Just Label It petition was submitted as a single document or docket, and so the FDA is choosing to count it as one comment. A million signatures <laughs> as one comment. Yeah. That's pretty tricky. That's interesting math there, you know. <laughs> I, was, I was on math team in high school, and there's something a little suspicious to me about that Just math. a little? Yeah. <laughs> it's government math. Come on. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's file compression. You know, you had all those signatures, you compressed them into one single file. That's, that's well, efficiency, yeah, right? So. <laughs> so a million signatures is one comment, and then 393 comments are separate. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it was a total of 394 comments. Yeah, exactly. One well, of those comments just happens to have over a million signatures on it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that is, it actually is kind of logical, <laughs> but not mathematically correct. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's logical if, if say, they want to <laughs> handle their documents that way. <laughs> but it seems like they're pretending that only 394 people have commented on the issue. And I know that at some point, Monsanto's going to say, well, you know, we got a thousand comments in favor of our perspective and only 394 were opposed. Now, I haven't personally remembered in any history that FDA doing this. <laughs> in, the, in the past, it's always been, you know, they got X amount of comments. Yeah. Some, somebody at Monsanto probably pressured them. Monsanto is a big and powerful organization. Well. As people in this region and the world know. Well. Monsanto threatens to sue Vermont, the whole state, over GMO <laughs> labeling law. Actually, 20 states are considering a labeling requirement for genetically engineered foods, something an estimated 90% of American people want, but aren't getting from the federal government. Let me say that again. 90% on average of all the surveys out there this is what they've come up with. It's, between, it's been between 80% and 99% of the people <laughs> yeah. on the surveys. So the average is 90% of the people want 
genetically engineered food. They don't want it. They, they want, want it to be it labeled. labeled. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, know. that's what we call responsive government. So, um, rather than listening to public calls to require labeling of GMO foods, the FDA is actually silencing them, as we just talked about. And now it turns out state government officials may even be dragging their feet on legislation they previously supported because Monsanto is threatening to sue. That's right. I mean, uh, a popular legislation bills requiring mandatory labels on genetically engineered food is actually languishing in the Vermont House of Agriculture Committee. Despite thousands of emails and calls... And despite the fact that a majority of the Agriculture Committee members support passage, they are actually, the Vermont legislators are holding up the labeling bill and refusing to take a vote. That's pretty cool. Hmm. I mean, it's like, we'll, we'll just, we won't legislate anytime someone threatens to sue us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Environmental groups better start threatening to sue people then. <laughs> Yeah, if it worked the other way, if environmental groups had that, that power over, you know, state and federal agencies. It's just like, here, you're going to do something that's um, bad, we'll threaten to sue you. <laughs> that's all there is to it. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that concerns me when you get to the point when transnational corporations have a larger economic base than not just entire states in the U.S., but entire countries, you know. Because then if it's, if it's a legal battle between the state of Vermont and Monsanto... Well, Monsanto's honestly got more money, you know. Than the whole state of Vermont? <laughs> Probably. I mean, I don't have the figures in front of me, but Monsanto's really big. Okay. Yeah, that actually is probably true. Yeah. So if you would like more information about the Vermont um, Right to Know Genetically Modified Food Act, go to vtrighttoknow.org so you can follow it. And yeah. lawsuits aren't a new tactic for Monsanto, but using it in a situation like this is a new low. Even for Monsanto. I yeah. Mean. Yeah, I mean, because there's examples of, uh, you know, like, uh, basically, corporations trying to use lawsuits uh, to discourage workers, for example, from complaining about working conditions. You know, they'll, they'll countersue or hold it up in the courts, that sort of thing. But keeping entire states in, in limbo like this is, uh, <laughs> it, it's not a good precedent for democracy. Hmm. I, I don't know. So, speaking of food, hmm. now's the time to start, well, stocking up on food. Well, it's the time to start thinking about, because, I mean, we're going to start having a lot more vegetables coming out. Yeah. And now's the time to get rid of a lot of that old vegetables and stuff you have sitting in your pantry and, you know, replacing it with fresh stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, let's do a spring cleaning. Yeah. Got a couple of tips on spring cleaning for uh, the pantry and for your food home supplies. First thing to do is check expiration dates on all packaged items and to get rid of any foods that have expired dates. Uh, now, that's, uh, it's easy to let those pile up after a while and be like, oh, you know, I don't remember exactly when I got that. Uh, but if you, it, you know, if, if you check it and find out, then you'll make room for stuff that's actually still good to use. Uh, let's see. Another good tip is uh, reading labels. Uh, asking yourself, is this a real food or is this a food product? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, is there stuff on it that you just don't know what it's called? I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, there could be, well, what was that 
the the BTA. Yeah, BPA. <laughs> BPA. You know, it's and I would say if it has more than like a dozen ingredients, it'd be kind of hard to call it food. Huh. So. I don't well, know. unless unless half a dozen of those are spices, you know that sort of thing. But if it has a dozen ingredients you can't pronounce, uh, <laughs> it's like if it <laughs> that are chemicals, you know. <laughs> if you can't pronounce the names of vegetables, you know. <laughs> and then if it has you know a, a, a large qu- amounts of sugar, salt, artificial colors, additives, preservatives, you know, unless you just want to make sure when you die, your body will last a really long time, yeah. then eat a bunch of preservatives. But otherwise, it doesn't actually preserve your body. <laughs> no. It preserves the food, so when you put it in your body, you can't digest it because the food is still preserved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That kind of made sense. <laughs> so, some foods to throw out. There are lots of common pantry items that contain empty calories or food with little or no nutrition but you know high in calories like foods high in sugar high frostrate corn syrup such as cookies cereal soda ketchup tomato sauce breakfast bars and desserts so (laughs) try to get any of those things to be better quality more natural so i mean the idea is to stock your pantry with things low on the food chain right like fresh stuff. Yeah. Well, how do you stock a pantry with fresh stuff? <laughs> yeah. Well, you can have you can have some fresh, you know, fruits in there for a while as long as you keep an eye on how fresh they are. <laughs> well, and also like ketchup is an interesting example cuz there are ketchups that have less or more of the, you know, like chemicals and high fructose corn syrup. So even if you do ketchup, you can get stuff that's not as bad. Yeah. I mean, low on the food chain would be Beans and rice and grains, all those things, you know, stay good for a really long time. Yeah. You know, they're just, they're not processed, you know. And having them on hand can help ensure that you actually use them, you know. If you don't have any, you know, pasta or beans or such in the house, you know, you'll say, well, I'm not going to do that. I'll just eat out. But if you've got a stock of it, you know. And it's really cheap, too. Yeah, it's cheap and it's quick to say, oh, you know, I've got some pasta right here. I'll just boil some water. Now I've got pasta. There you go. So, um, if you would like some articles on spring cleaning, such as um, seven spring cleaning habits to keep up all year, seven clean house tips for pet owners, five tips for tackling big bathroom tasks, um, please send us an email and we'll send you our newsletter. We actually have some of the things that we don't actually make it to on our show um, that's on the newsletter. Our newsletter is... Or our email period is info at yourcommunityspirit.org. Yeah, and let's go quickly through a couple of these holidays so we can get to some happenings. All right. Uh, I've got Drowsy Drive Awareness Day is today. Uh, don't drive when you're drowsy. You know, I've taken up the outdoor pursuit. to impact your driving, just like if you've had a couple of drinks. Uh, Saturday, uh, we've got uh, National Beer Day. <laughs> That's one of those days you celebrate without driving. Uh, you got no housework day. Uh, I, I don't know. Hey, Some people celebrate no that housework. every day. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> no, yeah, no. You can celebrate the day after with housework day. <laughs> it's also UN World Health Day, and it's the birthday of the singer Billie Holiday. Wonderful, amazing singer. She had such a beautiful voice. The anniversary of the World Health Organization and metric system is on Saturday. 
And then Sunday is Hanamasura, the flower festival in Japan. Sounds nice. All right, Monday is baby massage day. I think they mean the little little ones, not your baby. <laughs> yeah. You could probably massage your baby too, you know. Yeah. Yeah, therapeutic massage though is is a beneficial for all ages. <laughs> it's also a National Cherish an Antique Day. So cherish your old babies too. <laughs> I mean like anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um Tuesday is National Siblings Day. Ah, I've got a couple of those. Yeah, and the anniversary of the safety pin. <laughs> yes, and Wednesday is Barbershop Quartet Day. Do we have any of those around here? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to find out. It's on Wednesday. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of any, but Barbershop Quartet's pretty cool. Let's see. Next Thursday is National Be Kind to Lawyers Day. I guess they, you know, should get one day because it's also walk on your wild side day. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. be wild and be kind to a lawyer for, you know, one day. Yeah. So, some happenings. International Coffee Hour, Fridays from 3 to 5 p.m. at the Northwex Annex Building B on the SIU campus. Mix with people from all over the world. Yes, and coming up also tonight, we have the Rice and Spice Dinner uh, coming up at 6 p.m. at Guy House Interfaith Center, 913 South Illinois. This Friday, we have the Malaysian Student Association helping us celebrate Asian American Heritage Month with a Malaysian meal. Now, I've, I've been to this before. You know, these meals are tasty, and there's always a lot of people there. It's a really fun, energetic, exciting time uh, over at Guy House. Starts, you know, get together at six. Uh, can help with the cooking. They serve. They hang out together. It's a nice slow foods experience. There you go. Fridays are a big day. Saturdays are now a big day again <laughs> because the farmers market is yes. <laughs> back. Farmers market from April through the end of November. Saturdays from eight until noon. And now is the time to stock up on your greens. <laughs> it's like, get some good greens, get yourself revived after, I was going to say that winter, but yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah, so, it, was, it was a pretty mild winter, but still, we've been looking forward to the farmer's market all winter anyway. Yeah. And here it is. Uh, another happening, the Vigil for Peace happens at Saturdays at noon at the Town Square Pavilion on the corner of Maine and Illinois in Carbondale. Uh, we've also got coming up a town hall meeting to discuss hydraulic fracturing. This is coming up on next Wednesday, April 11th at 6 p.m. at the Long Branch Coffee House. Now, this is uh, hydraulic fracturing has come to a lot of other regions, and there have been problems there, and we're discussing problems that may be rising here because it is coming to southern Illinois. And unfortunately, there are absolutely no regulations on this process. It's completely exempt from the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, and a handful of other environmental protection laws. I mean, it's literally, quite literally, a free-for-all for the companies to pursue and pump you know, chemicals underground and, in some cases, into the water system. Yes. So there will be a brief and informative presentation and a discussion on what is to be done and what the community can do um, fracking is actually slated to begin this June in Saline County near us. And if you cannot make it, p- go to don'tfractureillinois.org. 
Again, an informational meeting next Wednesday at 6 p.m. in the back room of the Long Branch Coffee House. Yes. And there's also a movie, a documentary that I saw on the subject called Gasland that I thought was very uh, important and interesting. The website for that movie also has a lot of information to share. But don'tfractureillinois.org has plenty of details. And this is actually next Friday, but I thought I would announce it. The Women's Center announces groundbreaking for the 40th anniversary Tribute Garden next Friday at 4.30 at the Women's Center. So if you have a chance to... Um, put that on your calendar. Um, we do have a few things on our newsletter that we didn't get to, such as domestic fair trade. That's pretty interesting. And the top five things you need to know about EPA's new carbon rule. Yeah. So, And other happenings, too. The Women's Center actually has a lot of interesting, exciting events coming up in the next couple of weeks. So check out their website and Facebook as well. Will do. We will see you again on the radio next week. Yes. Next week on the radio. In the meantime, enjoy the sunshine.